0: hello and welcome to previously on a difficulty class podcast where we relax and talk about all the kick-ass games we're a part of i'm one of your storytellers ali deichman and with me this week is
1: trevor bettis
0: so to get right into it trevor where do you want to start
1: um, oh god, uh, I probably should have. We talked about that intro beforehand, uh-huh. and I didn't think about where I <laughs> wanted to start. Um, let's see, We're. we're, we're so there, yeah, we're hell, we got that. They did the uh-huh. thing, they, oh, yeah, yeah, so they're going to see Mordecai, that was the thing,
2: yeah. yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. So they're bumming along in, in the uh, in the, the 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 war machine, you know, I'll, I'll put a better sound effect than me going, <laughs> um, <laughs> and um. Yeah, so they they got there and um, oh, we should, again we're gonna I'm gonna say it for the first couple of episodes. Spoilers for sent to Avernus. I'm gonna put that right up here at front. Mm-hmm. There will be spoilers here. I'm not holding back. Though I will say, I changed a lot in this. <laughs> <laughs> I did not keep to the to the book uh, for for mm-hmm. reasons I'll go into later. So they get to Morticana, who's got this giant tower. It's called the Tower of Erm, um, and it the the way the book describes. it, very Sauron-ish. <laughs> like, oh. Oh, no, not Sauron. Sauroman. Like, it's got a total Isengard thing going on with a balcony all the way up, sticking out of there and right. lightning going off. Classic wizard. <laughs> yeah, you know. Um, and there's a bunch of uh these things that are actually called mesoloths, these little bug-looking fiends. And they're all down below the balcony, kind of like fangirling over Mordekainen and they're just like pick me pick me pick me (laughs) um (laughs) and the book explains it that you know uh uh searches or comes here to Avernus to hire yuguloths from time to time and so all of these are hoping to like get like a a plane hopping adventure on Mordekainen's you know traveling tower um (laughs) so the crew. So the golden pals roll up in their war machine just behind this crowd of fiends, gets out, stands on top of their, uh, their war machine, and then Cesar, the-the bard, thaumaturgies his voice and just goes, Hey, you (laughs) morticating?" Like, out of all the things he could have said, Hey, is that you? You look like the guy! (laughs) Um, oh my God! <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so uh, they have a they have a thaumaturgy back and forth with Mordecai and um, and they tell they tell the, they tell him why they're there. They're looking for the Sword of Zariel and the Bleeding Citadel and whatnot. Um, and I had them all make perception checks because um, two of the yugoloths were not yugoloths. Ooh. Uh, they're actually imps uh, sent there for reasons because that's the other thing I realized. I can't actually spoil stuff about what's going on because they listen to this too. Um, I know. I had
0: a thought about that last week. I was like, oh, yeah, wait, that <laughs> sucks.
1: Um, so the these, he, Cesar got uh, past the perception check and saw these little shimmery things going up the tower, but he didn't do anything about it. So they end up talking, um, um, Mordecai's just like I don't know where it is, but there's this guy up on a hill with some standing stones. It's probably your best bet. He sounded a lot cooler than that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no Mordecai's
0: um, just real chill. He's just like you yeah. know I, I'm not sure where. <laughs>
1: Um, I gave the group one more moment to do anything if they wanted to. Cesar didn't even tell anybody that he saw something. And then those shimmers came out into imps and they jumped out and stabbed Mordekainen, who then falls over dead on the balcony. Oh. And, and then turns to snow.
0: Ha <laughs> ha ha Because he's a simulacrum.
1: Because Mordekainen simulacrum. ain't stupid. Um, no. So they, they, they hang out there. A little longer than, than they were. Because the last time they saw Simulacrum, listeners, um, they uh, were on Chult and fighting uh, a man named Arctus Simber. And when they killed him, he turned to snow. But that's because he had an artifact called the Ring of Winter, which he used to make that Simulacrum. So Uthol, who's <laughs> one of the characters who was there for that, immediately just goes... Oh, he's also got a Ring of winner. Now I can have two. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> he still doesn't have the first one, so I don't know why. Uh, <laughs> um, but yeah, they hung out there a little longer than I expected them to. Um, and then eventually set off... Um, going towards the the this obelisk with standing stones in front of it. So this is this is where I changed it. Um, spoilers for uh, the the thing again for the actual adventure. The what's supposed to happen is there's a wizard-looking dude that's trapped in these standing stones, and he's actually a Bulgura. Oh. Um, and th- this is where I got into having a problem with it because the the structure of this part of the campaign is essentially all right have them go here that person doesn't know but they think this person knows so have them go there they go there he doesn't know so go then go talk to this person well before this person actually tells them anything they need to go do this thing for them but when they get back he doesn't actually really know so they need to go to this other place and talk to this person and it was way too much of just you know kind of filler it just felt like filler there
0: back and forth for the sake of just getting you in a couple more encounters than you would have otherwise
1: yeah, and and mm-hmm. the the funny thing is, there's not even really encounters to be had. Like not all like some of the places to go have three paragraphs set to them. Oh. One of them actually only has one paragraph set to it. Oh. Um. Yeah. So I was like, I don't really like this. I'm going to change it up and also start foreshadowing stuff for later, uh, after descent into Avernus. Mm-hmm. So um, they get there and uh they're walking up to the the circle of standing stones and they see someone sitting in the middle of them with a very colorful coat made out of patchwork with a hood on over their head and when they get closer out from behind one of the standing stones opposite of where they're coming from is a very fluffy long-haired cat and uh (laughs) immediately my sister's character violet tries to go over and pet it (laughs) Um, but it, it meows loudly and the person in the middle in a Scottish accent, which I'm not going to subject the listeners to here, uh, just basically just says, Oh, hush down. And they're like, uh, Hey, um, we, we heard you might know something about a bleeding citadel. And he stands up and, and he doesn't look at them yet. And he goes, are you, are you all fiends or like bad guys? And they're like, no. And he's like, okay, well, before I turn around and I use these words verbatim, you all need to get cool about a lot of things real quick.
0: <laughs> Pulling an old John Mulaney there.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, just straight, just straight John Mulaney. And, uh, and so they're like, um, oh, okay, cool. And he turns around and he takes off his hood and he's a mind flayer. And <laughs> instantly everyone freaks out. Like weapons are drawn, and he draws a spoon. <laughs> and silver and spoon. <laughs> a silver spoon. And uh, to, to which then Uthal's like, I pull out a fork. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so, listeners, this character here is actually one of my old characters. His name is Wit, and I named him after a character from Brandon Sanderson's uh, Stormlight Archives, um, mainly because the idea I had of it I eventually realized was like Wit and I kind of made him really fast at a game and so I just called him Wit and then could never figure out something better than (laughs) called him because everyone was like oh it's Wit that's Wit that's Wit so he is Wit Um, and so he's a mind flayer and basically real. I'm going to do this quickly here explains that he's not a mind flayer but he is a mind flayer but It's just the body that he's currently
0: in. He's currently a mind is a mind flayer.
1: (laughs) Um, and, uh, also the, the cat with him's, uh, name is Anastasia Romanoff. And we'll get to that later. Um,
0: fucking Russia, man, (laughs) fucking Russia, man.
1: Um, so they're like, Uh, and he says that he needs uh, their help to let him get out they're like what do you mean he takes a rock and he throws it and there's a force field in between all of the standing stones that is preventing him from leaving Um, so he needs all of them to like put a hand on one of the stones like try and focus energy into a spell he's going to do to break it each stone has a symbol of one of the schools of arcana on them Oh. But it's about this time that he notices Dagri's uh, uh, amulet. So Dagri is my brother-in-law, Nick's character. He's a dwarf. He's a cleric. And he's a cleric of Ferlanglen. And if uh, people don't know who that is, that's because Ferlanglen's not currently, I believe, in any of the books. It might, I think he might be referenced in the DMG. Um, but he is a god of uh, travel and is known for walking around different parts of the multiverse.
2: Oh.
1: Um and when he sees that necklace, he he you know asked Dagri what that is and he tells him it's a symbol of her and and suddenly gets very worried and just goes, "We need to do this really quick like right now." And they're all that's when they all start getting more suspicious of him. He's like, "No, seriously, like can can we just please this this is this might get bad and just as he says that a portal opens behind all of them and four people in spiky red and black armor come out with what's called a man catcher, <laughs> it's a man catcher. basically it's a stick with, a man. A, with yeah it's, it's a stick with a big metal you on it with spikes on it so they can you know catch a man um mm-hmm. you know who doesn't want one of those? <laughs> um so then they start to fight while also agreeing to put their hands on the standing stones and some of them picked which ones they did and some of them didn't but essentially like each one of them did something that to the person that touched it that had to do with the school of arcana that they touched so like Okay Uthol uh of course, did an, uh, a circ delayed flying jump on top of the standing stone of uh, evocation, touched it, immediately got hit by five magic missiles. Um, <laughs> uh, Marquez touched the necromancy one, took uh, sixteen points of necrotic damage. Um, but my sister, <laughs> my sister's uh, character Violet, who is a halfling uh, get her name's Violet, goes up to touch the transmutation one. And all of her skin turns blue.
0: Violet. You're turning violet. Violet.
1: <laughs> that was, everyone immediately did that. It was <laughs> gift in the chat and everything. And um, so now she's blue. Um, but my favorite, one of my favorite ones, though, is uh, Cesar got, he got man-catched. And then I, here's something really funny that they don't know about yet. I actually had Wit use a Pathfinder Bardic spell. I had him use Bardic escape.
0: I was going to say, did you get him out of there?
1: (laughs) I did. So Wit, uh, you know, does his flourish and then Cesar uh, disappears there and pops up next to, and I roll. I just rolled for a random one. Puts his hand on the conjuration stone, and all of a sudden there's a puff of smoke and steam and gear sounds, and there's a modron standing next to him. <laughs> and it's this little round modron that kind of looks like uh, um, uh, Mike Wazowski with wings. Oh my god! And, and its eye gets really wide, and it just goes beep 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 beep. beep. <laughs> it just like gets real close to Caesar, like it's his, like he's his dad. <laughs>
0: It's just so, absolute chaos.
1: <laughs> yeah. So, but this is also on top of being attacked by these uh, these armored guys who have swords and magic and everything. But they're able to get their hands on the stone. Wit does the spell. It's broken, and they uh, and he's like, run. <laughs> <laughs> um. So they all start taking off back towards the war machine. And my favorite part of this was that Caesar was one of the first ones to go, and he's like. Uh, he's like, I scoop up my Modron son. Uh,
0: uh <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it he's is like, his now.
1: <laughs> he's like carrying him in his arms and he starts running off towards the war machine. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> uh, but yeah, like, so they, uh, oh, uh, St. James would want me to say this. Uthal did this really cool thing where he grabbed the man catch. Cause he's on top of the stone, right? One of them came up and tried to catch him. So he grabs the man catcher and then just jumps down off the stone, plants his foot directly on the armored dude's face and then leaps off. <laughs> <laughs> that
0: sounds very oothal. <laughs>
1: yeah, very, very oothal. Um, but yeah, so they they got back to... Uh, they, oh, wait, wait, wait. Now I'm trying to remember what which one... Oh, Hurley. Uh, I was trying to remember because I, I knew I couldn't remember one of them. So Hurley, the, the halfling half-orc, um, he touched... Uh, Which one was? I think it was enchantment Um, and got plus two to AC for 24 hours. Now, the unfortunate thing is, is when the dude bro came over to swing at him, he rolled a 28 and a 29. And and Alex was just like, what? Plus two was shit. (laughs) (laughs) But he still got it. He still got it for a while. So it's fine. All right. (laughs) Um, but so they, they get back down to the war machine, get in and just take off going. And this is where we're starting to wrap up, but I had wit explain to them that, okay, so here's what's going on. Those were mercy killers. Mercy killers are kind of a sort of police force for the lady of pain who rules Sigil that sits atop the multiverse in this donut-shaped plane of existence, which everyone just kind of stared at with, like,
2: <laughs> blink- over unblinking eyes. Eye. Yeah, just <laughs>
1: like, okay, sure. Um, Accepting. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, but what he says there at the end is, like, they don't, li- the Lady of Pain has a problem with me. She's had a problem with me for a long, long, long time. However... <laughs> I think the reason they were able to track us there is because of that for symbol who she's currently after for Like she, she, she is trying to arrest a God. Oh yeah. That's
0: high ambitions.
1: (laughs) Yeah. So he thinks that them being near each other, just kind of like set off all of their searching spells because they were both bouncing off each other too well. Um, and, uh, and so that, that, that's where we left that one off. But, uh, yeah, so I, I've now, he, so the thing is, Wit does know about something with the Bleeding Citadel because he is a interloper. He goes around and he plane hopper and all that stuff. He's not a planes walker, though those are canon in my universe. <laughs> um, but, uh, but yeah, so he, he does know something that's going to help them in Descent into Avernus. But... Uh, I really wanted to be able to start, you know, laying the seeds for what's going to come next while also fixing up a part of the campaign that I didn't think worked really well.
0: Oh, yeah. I mean, like, that's one of those fun things is to kind of just lay the foundation of what's coming up next. Yeah. And also to give the players a hint at, you know, that there's there's more than what your current goal is.
1: <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Also, uh, listeners, that cat Anastasia Romanoff is actually Anastasia Romanoff turned into a cat.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. I'll get more into that in future episodes. <laughs> that that'll be on a callback to an, an old Pathfinder game. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um so the, the the way we've talked about doing the show is that we're gonna do one uh one DM story and then we're gonna talk about our group Pathfinder game, and then we'll do another and then we'll so like mine is the start, then we're gonna do the Pathfinder game, now then we're gonna go to Alley. So we're gonna transition yeah. over to our Pathfinder game.
0: Ooh. Yeah, we're currently doing Curse of the Crimson Throne, so obviously there will be spoilers. Yes. (laughs) And also, I apologize. This is a... uh... Oh, sorry, go ahead. Yeah, I was going to say, this is a Pathfinder 1 game. However, we are playing it in Pathfinder 2nd Edition, just to let you guys know for context.
1: And we are going into... Like, we're currently, God, middle or... No, I think we're past the middle now of the We are. Yeah, we're in book four, aren't we?
0: Yes, yeah. I want to say
1: yeah. So, uh, for uh, people listening that have only played, you know, or, well, I'll say it this way, who haven't played a Pathfinder uh, pre-written campaign, the way that they do these is they release them not all at once. They release them in six books split up across, I think six months. I think they come out every month. Um mm. And so that you'll you'll hear us say a, a, a certain points like, oh, we finished a book last night or, uh, oh, we just, you know, we're almost at the end of this one. Just to, just as a heads up so you don't get too confused. But that does mean we're kind of dropping you in the middle of the story. So we'll do our best to kind of <laughs> go back as we're explaining things to, like, fill you in on what's going on.
0: Um, Speaking of, I'll, I'll do a grand story so far in a matter of a couple sentences. Um, oh, okay. Yeah, we're, we're, we're from Corvosa, and there's problems happening in Corvosa. The king died, and the queen at first was mourning. However, she quickly got over it and became kind of a scary badass. Um, <laughs> she enlisted a new security force called the Grey Maidens, who have been helpful and yet so very unhelpful at the same time. And they uh, had to deal, and we as uh, adventurers we are, had to deal with this uh, huge pandemic that broke out across the city, uh, okay, again. R- r-
1: real quick, the timing of that book <laughs> and the world was yeah. way too real. Cause like seriously, we were getting, I we were still playing at the table when we first got the hint that in the fantasy world there was a sickness going around, and, and we, we all joked just like. Yeah, we were all joking like, "Oh, this is a little a little too close to home, but you know, whatever." And then, you know, 2 weeks later, we're playing on Discord in Roll 20. And it was like, yeah. "Oh." And I mean, then we everyone were in the and world and then
0: we were quarantined. Yeah, exactly.
1: We were... <laughs> Our characters got quarantined. I was like, "Oh my god. Mm-hmm. What the hell are the chances?"
0: Um, but long story short with that book, essentially, it was the work of a cult that we kind of got to the bottom of and We were handling the kind of almost leftover pieces when we went to go find a friend. Uh, He's a fencing teacher. He's well-known throughout the city. His name's Van Carlo. Apparently, he's got some dirt on the queen, who's been acting rather suspicious this whole time. We go after Van Carlo because we were just at this supposed, like update the queen was going to give us and the queen was like saying oh yeah i want to let you know that the guard that has been kind of protecting you guys for like the past however many eons yeah i'm firing this guy that's not going to happen anymore and the guy was like no
2: (laughs) and so he tried
0: to shoot the queen with a crossbow bolt he succeeded
1: she got a bolt
0: to her face should have died but she didn't she ripped the bolt out of her face and stabbed him in the jaw with it and everyone was like, oh shit. <laughs> and then she's like, all right. And then she just poofed out of there with her mysterious large man behind her. And we're like, <laughs> this is bad. <laughs> so we got okay. word from like the last good guard in the city. And she's like, yeah, my friend Van Carlo says he knows the one person who knows what's up with the queen. So we go find Van Carlo. Van Carlo's been kidnapped by the Arcona family, the, the biggest family in, in Corvosa and we have to go save him well coincidentally uh van carlo was kidnapped because he was also trying to find the man that knows how to deal with the queen (laughs) (laughs) so we got two birds with one stone we went in there got van carlo and got the seneschal out and we're like we need to get out of town (laughs) Mm
2: -hmm. so
0: we left town van carlo and the seneschal both told us you guys need to go find these lore keepers. They actually have an understanding of what's underneath Corvosa, and that's probably what corrupted the queen. Find these guys, and they'll help you deal with the evil. And we're like, sounds like a plan. So we say bye to Van Carlo and the Seneschal, head towards the desert, and that's where we are now. <laughs>
1: Uh, also, I, I didn't get to say it during the game, but the whole, like, there's some evil force under the castle and whatnot. I'm just like, this is very, like, Star Wars Jedi retconning going on. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it kind of
0: feels like it, but in a fun adventure way. I'll take mm-hmm. it. <laughs> yeah.
1: Um, so and, and this is the been... first time that I've gotten to do to, to come in as my new character. Who we? Yeah. I wasn't there for the first adventure in the desert but we just kind of said that like oh she had sh- she came along from corvosa because my older character gedek was like hey i don't want to you know leave you guys high and dry but i'm staying here for personal reasons this is the person i trust the most in this city
0: mm-hmm. yeah so uh now we have keisha who's with us um She's pretty much been vouched for by Geddick. And so we're like, well, I mean, that's really high praise. So we're going to (laughs) definitely trust you. No worries on that. And we're in the desert. We're looking for uh, these lore keepers. Uh, We're told that they're in the Callow Mounds. And we're like, okay. We get to a place where there's a bunch of mounds. Like as in like rocks piled on each other. Burial mounds. And we're like, oh, this is like more than just like a place like a camp this is like a, a religious site <laughs> lo and behold it was mm-hmm. so thankfully we were not disrespectful in fact we were kind of the opposite we were very much like very persuasive in the we want your guys' help and you kind of owe it to us and also we helped you guys out before um and they took all that information they're like all right fine let's meet up which brings us to kind of where this kind of started, like the meat of it. We, are we. let me see, where do I, where do I exactly get in? Yeah, so we meet up with this man called Thousand Bones. Um, And we've met
1: this man before because much earlier on in the campaign, um, there was a, there was a serial killer because why wouldn't there be? Um, Yeah. And so his son had gone missing and he believed that it had to do with this killer and whatnot so we investigated it this is also where dusty's character uh, alicia uh, ended up finding her daughter who was alive good she was missing mm-hmm. an arm and it had been turned into a ghoul but we'll get to that um <laughs> and but we we got in there and it turned out that this guy it was his son right or was it his nephew
0: i believe it was either his son or his grandson i'm not quite sure yeah
1: 100%. um but anywho, this this man thousand bones uh, his relative uh was killed Um, We ended up, you know, killing the dude that did it and all the like nasty ass experiments he was going on with. Um, But yeah, so that's how we actually originally knew this character and where to go find him.
0: Yeah. uh, More importantly for Thousand Bones, we brought the uh, remains of his family member back to him, which is very important to them and their culture Mm
2: -hmm. to give them a
0: proper, proper burial. So we're like, yeah, we we did this for you. We respect that. And he's like, Mm -hmm. I can dig it. (laughs) so that's how we got that respect and that line to be able to cross um we pretty much had a little powwow and we chat for a while and we're like yeah this is the update on corvosa and he tells us yeah i kind of saw this coming in my dreams but not this soon and so we're like okay he tells us we'll talk with the chief in the morning so morning arrives. um chief one life approaches us he's like okay listen I want to help you there's just you know a lot to do (laughs) we're like what do you mean and before we even get into it there's a commotion in the encampment Um, there is another tribe essentially that's kind of walked in and they're saying why should we even trust these outsiders they are not okay like we don't trust them to begin with and you're just randomly telling them how to get our like secrets and so to kind of prove our worth and say we are here to help and we're worth those secrets, um, we have to go through kind of a challenge. So this man, Crojan, uh, uh, he's like, all right, he's gonna challenge one of us to Shredna. It's a mixture of like tug-of-war and just having the, the balls to stand your ground. <laughs> <laughs> all at the same time. <laughs> and so pretty much you put a headband on two separate people. They face each other, facey-faced. Um, facey-face. And, facey face. Yeah, face-to-face. And Oh, I heard facey-face. <laughs> uh, yeah. The only way to lose, essentially, is to bow your head or get your head knocked down because you just lost out with strength. Mm-hmm. So we're like, hey, Ted, who's a recently made barbarian... <laughs> how do you want to do this? He's like, yeah, I'll do it. That sounds fun. I'd do it. (laughs) And so there were like three rounds that go back and forth, back and forth. And they eventually tie. One life calls it. He's like, you know what? You guys are equally matched. And Crojan accepts. He's like, you know what? This doesn't prove that you're better than me, but you can keep up with me. And that's something. And so Ted gives him a hand up and they kind of, Make a make a point of, like, I respect each other. Mm-hmm. After that, Chief One Life needs to be, like, I need to actually help with what they originally came here with, so give me a moment. Uh, I'll talk to you later at the Bone Council of Fire.
1: Two seconds. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, give, give me a minute to deal with some some tribe stuff. I'll be back. So, yeah, we're like, okay, so now we have to kill time until we get to the, bo- the Bone Council of Fire. And we're like, okay, well, that sounds pretty dramatic and cool later (laughs) that (laughs) night uh, we talk with Thousand Bones, One Life, and Ash Dancer who is the other uh, elder shaman in this tribe Uh, I give them the story so far very bard like I bring in the loot I make a whole affair of it and pretty much ending it with our need to speak with the lore keepers One Life tells us we have to earn the respect of not just his tribe but all the tribe's because the sun shamans don't trust outsiders at all. And he tells us there's like three challenges that we can do uh, that would give us the amount of respect we would need. And we're like, okay, uh, we have to get a truth speaker endorsement. We have to get the thrall keepers mark and we have to recruit a legend. We have to recreate a legendary hero's accomplishment. and We have to survive the trial of the totem.
1: Bum, bum, bum. I don't we're know why like, I'm doing this. There, there, I, get, I can add sound
0: <laughs> effects. Because you're, you're seeing it in the future. You're already hearing it. <laughs> so we're like, okay, well, that's a lot to take in. And he's like, no worries. I recommend you try to recreate a legendary hero's accomplishment. And we're like, okay. Do you care to share one with us? <laughs> he's like, yeah. So listen up. There's the tale of Skirt. Uh, he was a great warrior and also a great traitor to the Skalar Qua. Uh, the tribe that they are of. And he slew his own brother and family is priority. And his brother's murder was pretty much the biggest crime that you can commit. He was cast out of the tribe. He left, but said before he entirely left that he will be reborn and he will return a new man. So he set out, found a, the cinder maw approached it with only a knife. He was swallowed whole but had cut through himself out from the fire belly. And he returned to Sklarqua claiming his rebirth. He was then accepted back by the Sun Shamans. And we're like, okay, we have a couple questions.
1: <laughs> <laughs> One was
0: this, a Cinder this, Ma. <laughs> this is a
1: very common thing in our group, too. It's like, all right, now that you've given us all that, we're gonna ask you a lot of questions. <laughs>
0: So we're like, okay, does it have to be one person? What's a cinder maw? Can someone help? Uh, does it have to be a knife?
2: <laughs> <laughs> and
0: so they pretty much clarified it saying, yeah, one person has to jump into the mouth of this. Essentially, it's a giant worm. That's a fireworm, <laughs> And it's a legendary kind of beast. Uh, you're not supposed to kill it. You're just supposed to escape the belly of it. So we're like, all right, we've got... A plan, sort of. Maybe. We'll get to that. <laughs> um, One Life tells us uh, that there's going to be a few of his men to bear witness to the to the recreation. And we set out with our escorts. And we pretty much get there in about four days of where we would find the Cinder Maw. Because it has, like, feeding grounds, apparently. And it's, like, a rather craggy area. Like, uh, the best way to describe it, I would say, would probably, like, imagine a desert planet with I'm trying to think of what, what so, Trevor, okay. what's that desert planet in star Wars where it's like all the, the rocks and it's like the different levels and stuff.
1: Geonosis or Tatooine. Geonosis. There we go. Yeah. It, it, it is a, it's a big open area and there's, it's basically a lot of, plateaus that uh, eventually mm-hmm. have crags in between it with you know that go down to large areas of sand again i'll bring up brandon sanderson stormlight archives if you've uh you read that shattered Plains. that's what it looks like
0: mm-hmm. and uh our very own keisha decided to volunteer as tribute
1: here so so here here's here was my thing behind this is because mm-hmm. so dur- during this session w- w- we, you know, what's I, what I really enjoyed about this session was the fact that like we actually did role playing again, uh, which is something that I feel like since we moved over to Discord we didn't do as much, and yeah, we we weren't doing character voices and stuff. Well, you do you you do a character accent, which I, I really enjoy. Where it's <laughs> you're not really changing your voice; you're just changing certain ways you say certain things. Mm-hmm. Um, and so like because of that. There was a lot of talk about previous adventures that this group has done, and I was realizing, I'm like, oh, you know, like Keisha wasn't there for this. She, you know, may not have even heard about this stuff. She, I think she might be having some like imposter syndrome right now. Um, oh yeah. So. The reason that I uh, that I did this was because I I had, I had said it a few times where I'm like, she's looking like kind of standoffish or kind of like timid and whatnot. Well, not timid, but just like uncertain. And so, yeah, when this came up, I just had her step forward and be like, I need to do this. Um, I need to do this to prove that I belong here,
0: that mm-hmm. I belong
1: in this group of apparent heroes who are trying to save an entire city. I don't feel like I belong here yet. Let me do this.
0: Oh yeah, there was a moment that Victoria had. She kind of clasped her hand on on Keisha's shoulder and said, "Like, if you make it out of this, this will be definitely a really grand story." <laughs> and just kind of like eye to eye, just saying, "Make it out of there, please." <laughs> Your story is too short if you don't.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think I had Keisha say so. It was like, well, this if this is where my story ends, it's definitely an interesting ending. <laughs>
0: So she Keisha sets up the jump because you can't just like like do MIBK it. You can't be like eat me and jump in front of it. You have to like literally jump <laughs> into the mouth of this creature as it's well, coming up out of the sand.
1: <laughs> Real quick though, I want to talk about the plan that got
0: me. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. Why don't why don't you talk about that? Cuz I don't have it really written down here.
1: So like we were talking about different ways of doing things and you know, we're they're like, okay, it's a fire sand worm. It's gonna burn you up. It's a it's his stomach is probably gonna you know try and melt you and shit like that. So a uh, bunch of people put different spells on Keisha. They put like energy resistance and things that like help with rolling and whatnot. But then Badgeback, our our uh, our gnome sorcerer, had an idea. And he comes <laughs> he comes up to Keisha with a flash. He goes, okay, if you do the right thing when you uncork this. This thing will shoot out. What was it like a five gallons of water a minute? Yeah. Or it wasn't even a minute. It was every six seconds. Yeah. Um. He's like, take this, fill this thing's stomach, and then just swim out. And, and Keisha's like, I don't know if that would work. And he's like, it'll work. And she's like, okay. <laughs> uh, I guess that's the plan. Um. So yeah. Th- then then I then Keisha got set up with her jump. mm
0: Hmm. So, Keisha, after we lure this cinder maw to our location, we create quite a ruckus. I forgot exactly how I think uh, Badgerback did, like, a thunder wave or something.
1: Yeah, and yeah, he, he made a, a loud noise happen down on the sand.
0: hmm The cinder pops out very much just like huge worm from, straight from Dune just looking out from <clears throat> the sand. And Keisha has the wherewithal to jump inside of its mouth. Um, she has the decanter of endless water with her as she is swallowed and opens it inside the belly of a beast, hoping to induce either vomiting or to make it enough for her to survive. However, Keisha quickly realizes about two turns in, the constant crushing of being inside the stomach is going to win out over act- the act of filling up the belly with water. Yeah. In that should- race, she's going to die first.
1: Keisha's rocking 98 hit points right now and that was hitting her between like 10 and 16 damage a turn
0: I think we and did the math that it would take about like 13 rounds to bring it up
1: yeah uh but the but the see for me like that was funny but what was more funny was the realization that happened outside the worm
0: <laughs> true <laughs> <laughs> yeah um so she she's like okay i need i'm gonna need to get out outside the worm meanwhile there is like the five of us are just trying to kind of keep it here but also keep it from murdering everyone and so we're basically just trying to do spells and actions that would just make it so it doesn't kill everyone there. Like, uh, Sharondel was doing a lot of shielding, but at the same time, he kind of realized, oh, she's not gonna make it out, and he's, like, asking one of the guys, like, I need a knife! <laughs> he's just, like, running over. Badgerback's like, I'm gonna stand here, because I have an idea for when she gets out. Because he wants to be sure to make sure that she can fly out. I'm barding as best as I can. I'm going to be like, okay, as soon as she gets out, I'm going to triple time us so that we can get the hell out of here because we don't want to kill this creature. We just want to run. Mm -hmm. So we're trying to set ourselves up for when Keisha finally can make it out.
1: Well, hey, hang on, real quick. I want to explain for the listeners who might be like, why the hell wouldn't you want to kill this giant demon sandworm? The reason (laughs) why we did that is because in the original tale that we were trying to reenact the legend of, he didn't kill the worm. He, uh, there there was a part of the story where it was more honorable to not have killed the worm and to have escaped both living. And so we wanted to honor that as part of the legend.
0: Yeah. So Keisha, being the badass that she is, pretty much cuts out of this massive creature. I think in like a turn or something wild like that.
1: Fun fact, if you are attacking a creature <laughs> from inside of it, it's flat-footed, which gives you sneak attack in <laughs> Pathfinder. <laughs>
2: I love it. <laughs> One that of my favorite
0: was... things is that we had the Werewolf All, thanks to Pathfinder, to calculate how much how much time it would take for that stomach to be filled with water. Like, it wasn't guessing. We actually knew exactly how much time. <laughs> and the nerds. fact that that's a rule as well is that, like, if you're inside of a creature, that creature is flat-footed to you, technically. It's like, well, that- that's... That's a thing
1: <laughs> that was that was probably one of the funniest things I good because I googled while we were playing, and I just went there and I was just like, uh sneak attack attacking inside creature <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, it's like I think that was one of the things that just kind of like boggled my mind because I've been in that situation before, like. My buddy Marcos, he loves f- finding out loopholes and like that kind of specific thing. He's the kind of guy to ask, if you're falling with featherfall, when would be the right time to do it if you're falling from 1,000 feet? Oh and I'm like, God. dude, <laughs> he's like that kind of player. He likes to ask those kind of questions. And so when someone asked, well, how many turns would it take to fill up the belly of the Cinder Maw with the decanter of endless water? We had an answer, like an actual answer, not just a guess or a DM saying hand wave if that'll work in like... 20 seconds yeah <laughs> nerds and I'm like you could never get that with d you could never do that no concrete answer <laughs> so that's that's just something I had to point out yeah just as an aside but um Keisha with her just amazing ability of being a rogue and just being a badass cuts out in a single turn And she just spills out onto the floor of the sand and below us. Mm -hmm. She's like about 30 feet below us. We were ready for that, though. I cast triple time. I cast haste. Pretty much, Badger Bat cast fly on you. And we're like, we gotta go. Yeah. (laughs) And so we all book it as far as we can, as fast as we can.
1: Well, one of my favorite things in this was... Keisha flies up out of this, this you know, crag and lands next to, to Vittoria, and she's just like, she see that? I was in the stomach, and it was trying to kill me, and I took my knife, and I just, and I cut my way out of it, and then I oh, came out, and the water was splashing out, and then I, fl- and then she, like, notices what she's doing, and looks at uh, Vittoria, and then, like, tries to look cool again, she goes, yeah, that, that got pretty hairy back there.
0: <laughs> Victoria's just the biggest smile and just like nodding along enthusiastically.
1: So, I didn't. I didn't get. I didn't tell you this during the game, but I realized while we were playing who I was basing Keisha's character on.
0: Ooh. Yeah.
1: Uh, Huntress from uh, Birds of Prey.
0: Oh, yes. <laughs> and I, I,
1: I, as soon as I thought about them, I'm like, I love this idea. I'm going with that. So that, the, I, yes. that's who I kind of have in the back of my head while I'm playing her. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I love that. It's like, I, do you know my name? <laughs>
1: <laughs> Crossbow
0: woman? Dang it! <laughs> <laughs> I love it. So, after that, um, we're like, that was really awesome. We got one check mark off. Witnesses, you saw that. They're like, we witnessed. And we're like, great. What's next? <laughs> do we go back and tell them? Or uh, do we just carry on? And Badgerback was real keen on on finding this whole uh, Acropolis uh, thrall keepers mark situation.
1: Oh, that's right.
0: And we're like, I mean, okay, it would only be like a couple days walk from here versus going back four days and then going back six days. So we're like, yeah, we'll just head north from here. So we start making our way towards the Acropolis of the Thrall Keepers. Um, however, it was during that two-day journey that we noticed that we were actually being followed. Uh, Keisha actually scouts out the people following us. We like deck you out with spells to do this I know. too.
1: <laughs> I, I got turned invisible. Then I used the boots that I have to make it so I didn't have any footprints in the sand. Mm-hmm. Very roguey. Uh,
0: she ends up seeing that Crojan and five others are actually following us. Crojan, um, if you recall, is the same man that did the challenge to Ted earlier with the, with the headband tug of war. And one of the other options, I didn't write it down, but essentially is to get the respect of an enemy within the tribe. And since Crojon looks down upon us, but he re- kind of respects us, if he calls us as that specific word, I forgot what word it was right now off the top of my head, but-
1: Oh yeah, I don't remember.
0: There's like a specific noun, essentially, <laughs> that like, it's like, if if, they, if this enemy that respects you can claim that, that you're that person, then that'll also be a tick in the respect box. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And so we're like, okay, so it's not a problem really that he's following us. Um, Like, if they want to follow us, that's fine, as long as they don't try to keep us from accomplishing the trials, essentially. That's what we decide upon. So we're not really worrying about that. But eventually, we do make it to the Acropolis. It's a large crumbling tower made of black stone. Uh, There are several depictions of a seven-pointed star... And apparently the Thrall Keepers worshipped the god of runes, Lazala, and her symbol is said seven-pointed stars. And that's where we ended it for the night, where we just got to the Acropolis.
1: hmm. Yeah, was, it, it was a fun one. <laughs> it was a really, really fun game. And mm-hmm. I, I'm I'm enjoying the, the change-up in story from not being in the the city anymore and having having some like you know old fashioned RPG travel going on but I also love the way that Wiz is handling the travel because we we talked about during the game where it's like we're not doing the like all right roll to see if there's an encounter here or whatnot and she she's I love the way that she's playing where it's it's very story relevant because there were encounters that happened. Uh, in the previous game while traveling, but it was very story relevant because you guys were attacked by red mantis mm-hmm. people, evil things that red have mantis been after assassins. us for a little while. Yeah. Yeah. So, um I I, I liked I like the fact that we got as much story as we did in this one uh um session and um mm-hmm. i can't i can't wait to see what happens in that necropolis especially since there were hints and ties to another pathfinder pre-written campaign that uh <laughs> tar started running and i'm interested to see what connections there are
0: yeah I, i'm kind of starting to realize that paizo was doing a lot of i see what you did there <laughs> yeah. or, i saw what we did there <laughs> in their own writing because I, I like callbacks to to older stories and i like when D does that too
1: yeah absolutely but Allie, what uh what happened with uh with your home game? Not that <laughs> a lot. It homes, was yeah. fun. <laughs> <laughs>
0: um for context, uh the players this is my Neverwinter group by the way. So this is my everyday Wednesday group uh, every week, not everyday goodness. Um, I'm kind of taking them through the Dragon of Ice Spire Peak but heavily modified. <laughs> Because mm-hmm. they are level sixteen, yes. so you know, which is of relevant to what three, we were talking
1: about uh yesterday on yeah, plus
0: exactly um, so, I kind of wanted to give them the fandolin experience i I wanted them to <sighs> have I a chance Phandalin. to go through this city and kind of really help these people out because they need it, and so I actually have been able to be these characters for them, and it's been it's been great, but um. For context, they just talked with an ancient white dragon. This white dragon was essentially slowing them down. They just left the uh, Mountain's Toe gold mine because the Cult of the Dragon had swarmed it. And they rescued all the miners in there. They were going back to Phandal and escorting the people back when the white dragon landed down in front of their magnificent mansion... Summoned a really, really terrible blizzard in front of him and was just demanding, I need Raskin, hand him over and you will all survive. And after a round table of bad ideas, it finally got to Raskin. <laughs> and Raskin said, I have my own bad idea. What if I do go with him? And the I players... feel like that
1: should be a shirt we make, a round table <laughs> of bad ideas.
0: Like, to be fair, they weren't bad plans it was just the end result wasn't good <laughs> <laughs> so like rask and his bad idea was you guys all live and make it to town and get my miners to safety, but then i get kidnapped by an ancient white dragon <laughs> and so just calculating everything out they figured that that's their best bet they can't really went out against this dragon, especially since they're so close to the town. Mm-hmm. He could just go a mile that way and destroy the whole town if he wanted to. And so they gave up Raskin. Raskin and the dragon left. The blizzard subsided. And they were able to continue on their way towards Fandolin. They do make it to town. Not accosted after that. And the miners get treated, they get fed, they get helped. Um, They're in the Stonehill Inn, and uh, Halbin pretty much offers them food and free stay as long as they need, because at this point, they're heroes to the town. They just saved like 12 people from Mm -hmm. not just the Cult of the Dragon, but from a white dragon. And so they're like, they're heroes already. And so they're like, yeah, do what you need to. You have free stay as long as you need. At this point, they discuss what they how they need to go about getting to Ice Spire Peak, because their first goal right now is not only to take down this white dragon, but to save Raskin. So they're feeling like we're kinda on a time here. We need to go as soon as we can. Because the dragon wanted Raskin for his knowledge. Who's to say what happens to Raskin as soon as that knowledge is given? Mm-hmm,
2: mm-hmm.
0: So it's usually a two and a half day trip by walking. Um, they considered teleporting uh, via Scry and Fry, where they Scry on and Raskin and just teleport there immediately. But considering the past and how uh, things have gone before, they didn't want to risk it. They didn't want to <laughs> risk suddenly popping up in a different mine entirely in the middle of Ice Spire Mountains. Yeah. So they're like, okay, it's only two and a half days. Let's let's just walk. Um, before they leave, the mayor uh, Mayor Harbin pretty much stops them. I kind of made the mayor pretty much very much based off of what the Dragon of Icefire Peak makes him out to be, which is a nervous man.
2: <laughs> he
0: comes out with a full sled. By the way, it's the middle of winter in, in our game right now. So he comes out in the full sled, uh, an entire winter outfit that makes him look just like three times as big as he actually is. And I'm, he's I'm just picturing puffy. the mayor
1: from uh, the Grinch right now. Yes, he's just puffy,
0: <laughs> barely able to put his arms down as he's got a skirt covering his mouth, a scarf covering his mouth, and he's just running up to them saying, Adventurers, please, please. And they're like, oh, you made it out of your office today. And he's like constantly looking. He's always scanning and he's never actually looks them in the eye as he's always looking at the horizon, <laughs> trying to find danger. And he's like, I have things for you. Um, <sighs> and he's like, he shows them. He actually has snowshoes for everyone. and." Oh one pair of crampons these are from the brand new icewindale book um (laughs) i figured i might as well use this kind of concept because i wanted to really bring that snowy white like white out vibe from icewindale to this because there's a white dragon that is taking hold of this area it needs to be that Mm -hmm. and so they kind of figure out like well who should everyone gets a pair of snowshoes but who should have the crampons and they kind of all at the same time said Bertram
2: <laughs> and I'm
0: like oh, why and they're like well out of all of us you're the least dexterous man you're going to slip on the ice before any of us do <laughs> and he gets her shrugs and says you right <laughs> and so he, he, he keeps them um, the mayor tells them that if they don't want to camp out on the open road for fear of you know the dragon finding them again um, there's this place called Nomengard that they should be able to reach by the end of the first day they walk So like, okay, well, thank you for that information. He's like, yeah, Nomengard, they should be able to take you in. Just, uh, you know, introduce yourselves as people who are willing to go fight a dragon and they should be able to, you know, help you out. So they thank him and he runs back to his office in fear and they head out. After 25 miles of trekking it through the snow, made a little easier thanks to the snowshoes gift, uh, they eventually make it to Nomengard. And... They approach the cave system, and they're actually met with a rock gnome who's demanding why they're there. They uh, tell them, we request shelter as we're going up the mountain to slay the dragon. At this point, I'm in my head like, this is so old school D&D, like classic. We're going to slay the dragon kind of thing. I'm like loving this, but that's an aside moment for me. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So... Hearing that they're adventurers and, you know, strong ones at that if they're going after a dragon, the gnome declares himself as King Korbaz. And he allows them in as long as they can deal with the problem that has taken up in his cape system. And they're like, well, what's happening? He's like, well, two of my gnomes have gone missing. And they're like, well, that's not good. Tell us more. So he gets really shush about it. And he says, listen, two of my gnomes... Um, Orin and Warren, they've gone missing in the past 10 days. We don't know exactly when because I don't keep track of every single gnome in here. They're usually self-accountable, but we found Orin's lucky rock and we found Warren's hat. Warren is a bald man. He does not like to take off his hat, even wears his hat underneath his helmet. Orin never drops his lucky stone. It has a rune on it. Never bothered to figure out what it means, but it was given to him by his lost love. You know. Another thing you wouldn't part with. However, there they were on the floor with no orn or Warren with them. So the gang are like, all right. So this sounds like you've got missing people. He's like, yes, I believe something's killed them. And so Mm -hmm. they're okay. We we, will help you out. Uh, If you could show us where these items were found, then perhaps we can find whatever did this and take care of it for you. He's like, great. Um... So no nonsense, King Korbaz kind of shows them over to where the missing gnomes were last seen or their effects were la- found. In one of the rooms, um, there is these barrel crabs, <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> which honestly, I can't really, <laughs> I can't really describe very well. Essentially, aside from using the word barrel and crabs, it's, <laughs> imagine a barrel with crab legs coming out of it and it's entirely mechanical.
1: Oh, yeah, yeah, I know. Th- there's a, that's a mountain. in Neverwinter.
0: Yeah. Um, it's not an apparatus of cra- qualish. It's purely mechanical. It's not magical at all. And the players immediately were like, I want one. And he's like, they can only be used inside here. And they're like, oh. <laughs> <clears throat> but first they take a look inside the room with the barrel crabs. And currently there are two uh, apparatuses in the room. Roland uh, checks to see if there was like a scuffle to see if something there was like a fighter thing like that and he actually finds uh not necessarily tracks but he does find an imprint of a large uh sideways barrel in another corner of the room almost suggesting that there was three uh crab barrels in here and he brings it up to the king king says no we only have two so Roland is suspicious so Fear checks out the <laughs> wall behind where the hat was found and he actually sees that it's slightly sticky. He's like, this is interesting. It's kind of like that feeling of if you peel a sticker off and it's terrible and there's still that sticky residue behind. Ugh. That's kind of how the wall felt. But it was only on the lower, like, from your knee down. About the height of the barrel crab. And so he's like, okay... I'm going to I'm gonna smell it. So he did a smell perception, which I love. I'm like, okay, you actually notice, because he got like a 38. I'm like, you actually notice that there is a lack of smell here. Everywhere else in this wall, if you smell another piece of wall in this room, it smells particularly musty. And that scent from those mushrooms that you saw earlier is lingering. However, here, where the wall is sticky, there is no scent. And then he did the next best thing any DM could ask for. And he said, I'm going to lick it. <laughs> 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 and I'm like, okay. <laughs> I was like, this is the best. Okay.
1: Oh my! God. I'm not putting a sound effect for this.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so Saphir so takes a good old lick, and. As soon as the tongue reaches back inside of his mouth, his entire tongue is just on fire. It's burning. He's essentially licked the equivalent of acid. And I even rolled and he took some acid damage. And he's like, why is this terrible? And so they actually took the decanter of endless water and they literally rinsed his mouth out. Mm. So like, okay, well, this is really weird. They immediately start theorizing. Saphir like, I wonder if there's ooze here. I wonder if there's like a slime or something that was in this area, or maybe even like a mini gelatinous cube that's somewhere around here. And so they started like theorizing areas and they asked the king like, okay, well, where's the other one? And so they're like, okay, the king says, I can show you. So he goes and he goes through the entire cave system. And takes them across the bridge. And they met with this crazy trap that is part of Nomengard, And the king disarms it for them because they're walking through. But I, I just have to s- dis- describe this real quick. But it's uh, the large eastern part of the room contains two rapidly spinning devices that look like turnstiles fitted with stacks of long, sharp blades spaced one <laughs> foot apart. The northern turnstile spins counterclockwise, while the other one spins clockwise. So it's just, you could hear the sound of, like, just wind buffeting against each other constantly when you're outside of the room. The king casts Mage Hand, pulls a lever, and turns the trap off, and they go into the next area. This whole time, the king has been addressing his various gnomes that you see throughout the cave systems purely in gnomish, and... They've noticed a couple times now that the king has kind of been barking at them, like shouting, like saying like either something in gnomish that they don't understand. Funnily, no one in my group speaks it. So there you go.
2: <laughs>
0: and when they got to the area beyond those spinning blades, uh, it kind of looked like a, an intense inventor's workshop. And there was someone there and they there was two gnomes there. And as soon as the king came in, they kind of hid what they were working on. the king yells at them in Gnomish and they react. They are terrified of this king and they kind of hide after he essentially points to leave. So they leave and the king shows them where the hat was found. The hat was found in the domiciles of this Gnome Kingdom quote (laughs) cave system. Mm -hmm. And it's actually like there's four little areas and there's like five cots stuffed into each area and where the hat was there's was only four cots and on the ground there were four very distinct spots where dust has gathered in particular and if you try to dust this dust it out it was sticky so now the players immediately so went oh god it's a mimic and the mm-hmm. king hisses at them pulls them out of the area because they were 10 other sleep, like, gnomes in that room he pulls them back into where the inventor's workshop was and says, if you think it's a mimic you cannot tell my people they will be terrified and they will run and they're like, okay so, we have an idea that it's a mimic do we have permission to check out the whole area? and the king says no and they're like, well, how are we gonna find it? (laughs) he's like, you can check everywhere save for the pantry and not my chambers, and I have written here in my book saying that 's sus man <laughs> <laughs> at this point, my whole group was like narrowing eyes at the the king, and it 's like they 're like, "I want to incite this man." And they're, pretty they're much all sitting
1: there looking at the king hand over the emergency meeting button. <laughs>
0: <Exactly>. <laughs> and like they're 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 inciting the man and they're like, I'm pretty much telling them because they're successful. It's like this guy, no matter what you do, he does not want you to go into his chambers, into his bedroom. And they're like, OK, this is weird. He's like, OK, the king says you can't be left to your own devices. I'm going to leave you with one of my most trusted people and they're going to escort you throughout the, the system. They're like, okay. So he calls out in Gnomish once again, kind of almost barking out an order and a gnome, one of the inventors, pops their head out. He comes out and they, the king says, I have matters to attend to. Deal with this by tonight or you will not be welcome here. And he leaves. So now... The group is left with this wonderful gnome inventor. Um, He introduces himself as Fibblestib. Fibblestib says, uh, we couldn't care less about the creature that is trying to murder us all. Uh, We want to figure out what the fuck is going on with our king. And the the group at this point is like all on board because they were also feeling some really weird vibes from the king. And they're like, wait, wait, wait. Okay, so hang on. You don't care that there's like a mimic going on? They're like, no, that's that's a minor problem. We can fix that if we really need to. What's really problematic is that we haven't seen our king. And they're like, wait, what do you mean? The other king. There's two kings. What? <laughs> they're married. There's two kings in charge of our people. Oh, I love it. But we haven't seen the other one in 10 days. And so now the group is kind of piecing things together. It's like, well, how, how long ago was things a problem? And it's like, well, 10 days ago. And within how long have these people gone missing? The past ten day. It's like, mm. oh, <laughs> mm. okay. So now they're kind of putting two and two together. But um, this gnome inventor has a fellow friend, and her name is uh, Dabbledob. <laughs> As and, you. Do. Yeah, they um, claim that they've that King Corbaz has been acting really, really weird, and their Real other sus. king, Nurkly, has been missing. Uh, Dabbledob suggests her newest invention, a straitjacket, and Fibble Stib proposes his sanity ray. Um, there was a cute moment where Roland was like, I mean, I know greater restoration. Is that kind of what he's talking about? And I say, Yeah, Dabbledob hears you say that, and he narrows his eyes at you and says, It was my idea first.
2: <laughs> <laughs>
0: um, but Fibble Stib kind of stays behind to work on his sanity ray as Dabbledob Dabb escorts the group. Uh, they're shown the treasury. It's essentially a, drug rube, a junk rube of like past inventions and such. Um, and at this point, uh, Dabbledob tells them, she's like, listen, if you actually help us out with this and you get the cane to be handled, then how about we give you something of our past inventions? And it, she talks that fast.
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs> she's like, how about we give you some of our past inventions and then we'll be able to do things like that. And they're like, okay, yeah, we can do that. She's like, cool, here's one of them. And uh, she shows them a climbing rope. And they head to they they go they find there is this one moment um, where Saphir pulls out his abyss stick, and <laughs> if you listen to difficulty class previous episodes, you'll remember that Saphir found a stick when he, they were all in the abyss, That's right. and he used it to determine which way they should go.
1: Yeah, yeah, he kept, yeah. Okay, I remember.
0: So he just kind of you know stood it up in the middle of the hallway, and he dropped it. And I asked him to roll a d eight. He got a two. And I'm over here as a DM saying, of course he rolled a fucking two. That's exactly where the mimic is. (laughs) I'm like, dude, fucking Timora is literally watching over you right now. Because what are the odds? (laughs) So they're like, okay, well, what's this room? It's like, oh, it's the throne room. Okay. So they, they open, they, easily unlocks the throne room door. And in there, they see, uh two thrones made out of scrap metal but they also notice there's a good squared space on the floor with a slightly different color like as if something has been covering that area for a while um, dabbledob points out that there used to be a rug here so the whole mm. group collectively say we look up and I tell them there's a carpet on the ceiling
2: <laughs> <laughs>
0: and they're like oh no and so they're like ooh I want to and I'm like before you do anything, as soon as it notices that it's been seen, you hear a very faint, Noo, as it crawls away from you. What? <laughs> what? And at this point, the group is like, what? The, did that thing just fucking talk? <laughs> <laughs> and Twyla commands it off the ceiling, like using the spell. And yeah. so it drops. It just drapes onto the thrones as it continues just kind of trying to crawl away from them. <laughs> they ask if it's eaten the gnomes in the area and why it's running from them. And the car- the rug simply answers, you are big and they are small. <laughs> oh. <laughs> and while in the room, in the throne room, they actually notice a secret door, which can only lead to the bedchambers, the one room they were pretty much told not to go to. Mm-hmm. So, like, at this point, they're like, okay, they're half of them are chatting with this mimic, which they're like, what? <laughs> and the other half are like, well, where does the secret, what's what's in the bedchambers? Why was he so antsy to get us to not, like, go in there? So, Saphir decides, I want to check it out. Um, the the secret door is actually kind of like a push door. However, it's like a foot thick. So if anyone who wasn't a small size tried to get through, it would be really obvious that they were opening this large door. Mm -hmm. So Sophia's like, Roland, can you reduce me? And Roland's like, I randomly have that spell prepared today. Yes. (laughs) And so he reduces him and he's like, you only have a minute. Sophia uses his ring of invisibility and he goes in. He sees in the bedchamber... ...that inside is King Nurkli. He's sitting in a chair. However, he's also gagged and bound. Mm. He is currently just looking defeated. He's looking exhausted, like as if he's been there for a bit. Saphir goes a little bit further into the room... ...and he sees King Korbaz. He's in their room too. However, King Korbaz is just simply reading a book. (laughs) So they come back. Saphir's like, listen what's this is what happened this is what i just saw and so they're like okay they talk with the mimic further they're like what's going on and the mimic tells them king is me king is not sticky (laughs) and they're like what the fuck does this mean and eventually roland kind of figured okay the king is a shape changer except it's a shape changer that's not sticky it's like okay and so they want to confirm this situation uh, cons- and they consider sending in Lonin to use his true sight while ethereal because Lonin is a avatar of a god. He kind of has some special powers as they leveled up. Mm. So he can use eth- turn ethereal and he could use true sight as an action once a day.
2: Oh. So
0: he goes through the walls into the bedchamber, uses his true sight, and he sees King Corbaz's true form. And it's a fucking doppelganger.
1: <laughs> oh...
0: and this doppelganger is just sitting on a chair, and I'm, like, describing how the face never wants to stop changing and how even with his true sight, it doesn't seem like there's a true form. And Lonan comes back, and he didn't have to say anything because the whole time, Bertram was seeing through his eyes, and he's like, we have to fucking deal with this. And so they set up an ambush to get into the bedchamber. They go in... They take this fucker down in a turn because they're level 16 yeah. and they are able to do it. And King Nurkley is severely exhausted, but they use the this uh, solvent that was on the doppelganger's person because the man was like sovereign glued to the chair.
2: Oh,
0: <laughs> and Saphir takes the doppelganger body, feeds it to the mimic. There was this great moment where he told the mimic are you hungry? And the mimic responded, always hungry. And he fed it to the rug. The rug <laughs> went over the body. It was kind of lumpy as rugs would be if over your body, but yeah. after literally two seconds, it flattened.
2: Oh, jeez.
0: <laughs> and they were all like, oh.
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs> so after that, they turned towards the king that has been now a widower and left to his own devices and survived. Mm-hmm. So that's what happened. My group is now debating whether or not they want to uh, adopt a mimic,
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> and how to help this king out and figure out
1: D&D players
0: why this happened. <laughs> mm-hmm. But that's that's what happened with my game. It was a fun, just that side like a lot mission. Of fun. Like I wasn't expecting that to happen. I was just like, oh yeah, they're gonna stay at, at Nomengard, and then I read quickly through what Nomengard was in the book, and I'm like. Oh, I could work with this, mm-hmm. and I adjusted it heavily. I made it more of a fun little game because all of us were talking about Among Us and the vibes of that game. And I'm like, this will be fun to do.
1: Perfect, I love it.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: We, but that, yeah, that, that... that was my game. Nice. Um. Well. Uh, yeah. That. that... Seriously, <laughs> so we're, we're still in a new show, so I don't quite know how to end this because I'm just like, that was a really <laughs> cool game. But like, I we're we're already an hour in, so like, I don't <laughs> I don't know what to do. Here
0: yeah it's all right um how about how about this uh that was our previously on for this week uh stay tuned for next week to hear what happened next week
1: (laughs) (laughs) i like it just wanted to say really quick that the sound effects and music that you heard in this episode were from sirenscape you can check them out at www.sirenscape.com and find some really awesome sound effects for your game like this